Welcome to Sports Lit. I'm Neil Acharya. I'm Nate Sager. And well, we're glad to have you for episode two. Uh, thanks for tuning in. And today we have a guest who has written 13 books. His name is Greg Oliver. Um, and two of the latest ones out are uh, entitled Father Bauer and The Great Experiment, as well as Gratuni the Looney, The Wild Unpredictable Life of Gilles Graton. And Gilles Graton is going to be kind of the focus today when we talk to Greg because it's his latest book. And, well, Nate, what makes Gilles Graton so unique? I mean, he only played a, what, 50, 47 50, NHL 47 games. 47. Why does a player with 47 NHL games under his belt and I guess, uh, you know, over 150 WHA games, why does he get his own book? <laughs> well, Gilles Graton became sort of the, I guess, the quintessence of the crazy goalie. I mean, maybe because his career was so short and he, he did so many things that were kind of just outre and sort of check. And then he sort of just walked away from hockey. Well, still a you know relatively young man at the age of 26. So because, you know, that sort of fixed the image of him. He, you know, he believes, in, you know, he practiced uh, transcendental meditation. He was sort of ahead of his time with, uh, you know, uh, you know, adopting yoga, which every athlete does now. And then there were all these sort of stories like he had the, the lion mat the lion mask when most goalies just had these sort of primitive painted masks and uh he didn't really like playing hockey this was an age where you know wasn't this hockey we didn't have these you know people who were built to be hockey players from the age of you know four onward like he and his brother norm Gratton, who also played in the nhl were just kind of like they just played and they got signed and and that and the next thing they know they were playing pro hockey so Gilles Graton, like you know, to circle back to the main point, because his career was short, but there were so many stories about him, like in ones that he kind of embellished himself, like he believed in parallel lives and past lives, and that kind of got written up. And I think also part of that was like he was coming along at the right time. He was born in 1952, so he's the same age as my parents, but that meant he was exactly 20 years old and coming out of junior hockey with the Oshawa Generals when the World Hockey Association was formed and suddenly pro hot the number of uh, major pro hockey playing positions doubled in size they needed players so he ended up playing with the ottawa franchise that became the toronto franchise and he was kind of in the right place for the right time that was also an era when i think the sports media was really you know coming into its own like you know all the writers had grown up in the shadow of like gay talise and everyone were everyone wanted access everyone wanted these like you know magazine profiles and, and you had that access it wasn't like you know some pr guy okay one question please right so he got written up a lot in that also i think because that was an era of where you had these you know this the, the mark fidriches the bill lees guys like that and the so i mean he kind of fit into all that and i mean he and so it's always just stayed in people's mind because, and then he sort of walked away from hockey. So faded that's all away people a had. Bit yeah, and, faded away and, 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 and spent time in India, uh, spent time in a place called Ganesh Puri, learning meditation, also in upstate New York, uh, took up photography. And that's kind of where this all, this the idea of the book started. He needed some money. He's 65 now. And not too long ago, him and a friend named Bruce Jessup, who introduced him to photography in Europe, they were kind of traveling around. They got together and finally with Greg decided to write this book and we're going to learn all about uh, why Gratuni was the loony or, or, or was he? And we'll, we'll, we'll catch up with Greg next. Yeah, and Greg, obviously, like you said, thir 13th book. He's uh, got a long background uh, through, through his own uh, journalism career working for uh, Slam Wrestling as an editor and he's written all these books about 
you know, the Canadians in wrestling, and then he sort of spread out into uh, into hockey. You know, he's from Kitchener, so you know, hockey hotbed, Kitchener Rangers, and all that. And yeah, it's a it's a really uh, you know interesting interesting book, and it's a great narrative because it's he's just kind of. You know, because Jules Gratton kind of goes, well, you know, I kind of, you know, I kind of screwed the pooch a bit, bit with hockey, I mean, hockey, but he doesn't also really have any like, well, what if, you know, what if I'd worked a little harder? It's just and sort of the tale of a guy who kind of didn't really like like the system and. And he and names it, names. I mean, that's the thing. He 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 says who he doesn't like, and he's not uh, he's not talking about like the fourth line left winger. He, he there's a lot of prominent hockey people in here that yeah. he didn't like and he and he says it um so uh we'll talk to uh, greg about how they navigated that as well so um stick around we're ready to have you for episode two of sports lit I'm Neil Acharya. I'm Nate Sager. And it's another episode of Sports Lit. And today, as we mentioned earlier, we're glad to have an author with us today of Gratuni the Looney, Greg Oliver. Greg, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on the show, guys. Greg, um, first off, can you just tell tell our listeners a little bit about yourself, a little bit about your background as an author? Wow. Uh, where to start? Yeah, survey um, question right off the, off the Exactly. Bat. I grew up in Kitchener, um, and I actually got into professional wrestling and did a newsletter when I was 14. And that led to a job at the Kitchener Waterloo Record, which was an overnight job, which you can't really do in high school. But I tried <laughs> for a year. And then uh, I went to Ryerson for journalism and stepped away from wrestling for a little bit. Um, and then I ended up with a part-time job at the Toronto Sun uh, my first year at, at school. And so that kept my, um, my interest in journalism going. And I got pulled back into professional wrestling with the wrestling boom in like 96. Uh, I was one of the day one guys that built the canoe.ca website. So that was awesome because we got to write whatever we want. When I was at the Sun, I did about 13 different jobs, but none of them really was full-time writer. So I got a great experience in all these different things. And then, you know, wrestling boom happens. ECW Press says, hey, you got an idea for a book? Sure, I want to do a book about all the famous Canadian wrestlers, and that seems so long ago. That came out in 2003, the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, uh, the Canadians. And here I am, 13 books later, uh, with Gratuni the Looney. It's it's kind of remarkable uh, how things happen uh, in such a short amount of span, span of time, really. Who, who, who is Gilles Gratton? <laughs> Joe Graton, uh, he's a character. And, and because I dealt with so many pro wrestlers, I think that helped me with this book. Um, but uh, he was a guy who, whose older brother had made the NHL and, and he sort of fell into hockey. He could have been a great goalie, but he just didn't care enough about hockey. He wasn't driven. This was the 1970s. Um, he lucked out in that you know he came of age right as the WHA started up. So all of a sudden he had an opportunity to, to make a lot more money. Uh, than he normally would have. So he screwed around a lot, messed up. Am I allowed to swear on this show? Yes. Oh, yeah. uh, he certainly screwed up his career. Um, I believe he talks about that in a, using another word right at the beginning uh, of the book. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, well, as the guy who wrote it, yes. He <laughs> uh, he's a guy who's very honest. Uh, he has no, no filter. So he'll tell you everything he did from telling off coaches to... Um, uh, the the sex and the groupies like you know and, and looking back on his life now that he's um, 65 he can have a little bit of regret a little bit like he can't remember the name of the groupie in, in Winnipeg that took care of every time he'd go there with, with you know with the Toronto Toros 
and and she took care of him like for the entire couple of days they'd be there but he can't remember her name but never the, bought her anything never did anything but, but had fun but then he can remember like kind of really strange things which we'll get into later which is it's kind of makes him even more unique because some of the stuff he can recall is um is is unique but we'll we'll get to that in a second because i know nate has yeah, a, a uh, question you kind of intuited what i was going to ask about how much did the the wrestling uh back writing background uh lead you into uh gilles gilles Graton? because he because he he was kind of like a guy who had a persona like how much and you sort of mentioned uh Terry Pluto's loose balls being a, a good, uh, I guess, source material for it. What else did you really draw upon to try to recreate that, I guess, 1970s do-what-you-feel type vibe well, that pervades the, the book? The Terry Pluto is, is an amazing book because it was all sort of told that first-person style. That's really what we used here. So my editor at ECW Press, Michael Holmes, said, well, go get this book by Johnny Rotten and you'll see what I mean. And the idea was to bring other voices into this narrative. Because Jill's story isn't that long, really. I mean, he's he's an NHL WHA goalie from 72 to 77, uh, and he never won anything. He never really did anything significant on the ice. So it's all about the off-ice exploits. So by bringing in other voices, uh, like a Terry Pluto did, like they did in this Johnny Rotten book, I think that really helped a lot. Um, and it had other people because everybody's got a joke at home story. That's what I found. Not all of them are printable, <laughs> and I hope I'm not responsible for any divorces after this book's come out. But I've already heard a little bit about it. So. Well, you know, you talked about weaving in some of the the interviews with other people into the narrative, and and what I found interesting was you'll see instances of that, but there was guys that actually didn't like him that are woven into this narrative like right off the top i think one of his teammates and my notes are just they're not loading up right now but one of his teammates in oshawa is basically like i didn't care for this guy and he it, it's in the book yeah that was the ted mccomb the other goalie and uh that led well he was an important guy to talk to because jill's actually lived with his family so when ted went off to um university you know jill's is still a you know underage player for the for the um Oshawa General, so he moved in with the family. And, and Ted McComb's dad was a really important person in Oshawa sports history. There's a whole sports field named after him. So I didn't expect such negativity, but so what? I mean, you still can include it. I mean, it's I, it's not meant to be a tribute to Gilles Gatton. It's a warts and all kind of look, and, and, and Gilles will admit his warts first and foremost. And you talked about it, Nate, wrestling. And, and, and I find some, some of the most interesting sports books are wrestling books because... And you can you can correct me if I'm wrong because I'm not a wrestling guy, but I find because of like maybe the the carny atmosphere that that came before before wrestling became what it is now, there it's just wild. The you, the stories you hear are wild, and I think it ties into what you see with Gilles Graton as opposed to something like your other book, which is the Father David Bauer book. It's it's more of a a hockey polished book. Like hockey is far more conservative than wrestling. So did you? Did, was there a, a transition for you that was made easier because you were a guy that wrote wrestling books to write about Gilles, who's had all these wild experiences? I'm not exactly sure about that. I think it has a lot to do with even the guys today. Like when you're talking to today's wrestlers or you're talking to today's hockey players mm. or today's baseball players, they're also media trained. Mm. And they don't have the wild lifestyle that these guys in the 70s did. Whether they want to share those stories or not is up to the individual. Daryl Sittler has stories like this. Does he print them in his book? No. Sure. But, I mean, there's no question that he experienced a lot of these crazy things at the same time, but that's not who we think of Daryl Sittler as. 
Um, and I'm not saying he's guilty or I've never right. heard Daryl Slither's stories, but I know they're there. Like, right. there has to be. I mean, sure. it's, it's part and parcel of being a celebrity and being a big-name athlete. Um, so I, I think, it, it, like I said, it comes down to the individual, whether they're willing to share and be honest and others aren't. Yeah, what, how did you and Jill's really, you know, sort of, when it's okay, okay you two are going to be working on a book together, how did you guys sort of connect, to, you know, to get him to, well, I mean, you say he has no filter, but at the same time, he still had to, he still has to trust you. How did you guys really connect before you started, you know, okay, this is what we're going to, how we're going to format the book? Well, once we established that we were going to work together because we had a common friend and a Bruce Jessup who owns a big photography collection and, and is a photographer in Germany, and Jill's worked for him later. Um, so he's sort of the conduit that made us talk to each other. We did a few, you know, three-way calls between us, and Bruce would prompt him and say, oh, well, tell him this story, tell him this story. Eventually, it came that there was going to be a Toronto Toros Ottawa Nationals reunion in Toronto. So Gilles was coming down in August, and we just figured out this would be the best time to work on it. And uh, so Gilles came and just stayed at my house. Complete stranger staying at your house. And so you sat out in the backyard, or you sat in the living room, and you just talked. And and you know one thing would lead to the another. You'd make notes. Once I went through all that, like that was two days worth of stuff. Once you go through that, then you go back to him, and you say, "Hey, we we didn't get very much about the generals. Can you tell me about the first year? What was the coach like? Did you go to high school?" And then then you get the story. Oh yeah, I dropped out after three days. <laughs> you know my English was so bad, I didn't care. But the school never followed up. Like, I mean, things like that are remarkable in this day and age. Let's just give a little background for some of our, our, our listeners that don't know a lot about Jill. Um, Jill obviously uh, kind of made the NHL by accident, if you if you ask him. I, I had a call with him last night. Um, and we, talk, we touched on it. You touched on his unconventional lifestyle. This man, you know, obviously he is as far from anything you'll see in hockey right now or probably ever as you can get he you know he's been, spent time in india he's a meditator um he he's he's made some you know references to having um how do you say like um past lives past lives, yeah. uh, lives. Uh, out of body experiences yeah. Yeah. um so he got this name gratuni the loony but i mean in talking to him last night i you know He's not. He's by no stretch a loony. He's just a guy who has different opinions. He, he can articulate them. Um, mm-hmm. And I just, well, yeah. How how did you find? I mean, what did you know about him going in? And then did did that change once you once you started talking to him in your backyard when he came over? Yeah, it was interesting because we did a book. Richard Campton and I did the Don't Call Me Goon, where we talked to the goons, and then we did the Goaltenders Union, where we tried to show a picture of how goalies are all similar and yet they're different and, and everybody's dream goalie is to talk to is a guy like Gratuni the Looney and Richard actually talked to him for the book and found him to be exactly as you described he's a very thoughtful guy very introspective um, doesn't give a lot of thought to today's hockey and yet he works in the business he works for classic auctions and and you know has access like Billy so he tells the story it's not in the book because it was afterwards but Billy Smith comes by the office Hockey Hall of Fame goalie. And Jill's like basically just ignores him. And then later on, somebody, well, did you get to say hi to Billy? And he goes, was that Billy Smith? <laughs> and then so he runs downstairs to talk with him because here's a guy he played, you know, played right. against. He should have some sort of camaraderie. But in general, he just doesn't have that kind of thing. Um, but it made him an interesting guy to talk to for sure. And I wonder, Greg, how much. Uh is the sort of the book a sort of a comment on just what it was like to be a goaltender 40 years ago? Because now, I mean, 
I could go to like a, a Ryerson women's hockey game and the goalies on the ice have had more coaching and instruction than, NH, than NHL goalies did in, in, in uh, Gilles' career. I mean, the equipment was so much heavier. You know, they were all times sort of almost self-taught. How much is the book sort of a, a comment on just what a nerve-wracking profession that was in those days? Yeah, that's an interesting point. There were no goalie coaches, or if they did, they were pretty clueless. Um, like, he talks a lot about the mentoring he got from Dan Bouchard, who was only, like, a couple years older than him, uh, who was his brother's uh, Norm's age. So they were friends. They all knew each other, and Dan looks out for him uh, throughout his career and tries to help him. Um, so yeah, there's definitely that, but Jill's never pursued it either, right? He never, the kind of guy that want, I want to get better at this. It's always like, man, I don't really want to be here. So <laughs> I, I, it's not the drivenness that you get from, you know, a lot of today's kids that are up and coming, or like I said, university hockey or wherever it is, there's always those mentoring. And now with access to the internet, you can watch videos, you can learn about goaltending, all that stuff. There was Jacques Plant's book on goaltending. That was it. That's the only book that everybody had, Jacques Plante's book. So that's the one they rave about. Speaking of uh, connecting to the internet, I'm on board now, so I got. <laughs> I can, uh, um, and, and 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 yes, thank you, Nate. That was a great point. Um, his um, his trajectory. He told me basically when he was a, a young guy, he from the time he was five or six, he was like wondering what he was doing in his body. Um, I mean, have you ever encountered anyone like this in all the time you've, you've, you know, you've written 13 books, you've said, right? Is there anyone that's come close to, 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 who, to who this guy is? I have to do a lot of learning myself, right? What does it mean to have an out-of-body experience? What does it mean? So you have, you're researching things you certainly never did before. Um, wrestlers, no. I mean, I've, I've written other sports and entertainment things, but... Usually it's a professional interview, right? You're talking about a project or you're talking about this. Even the, the most interesting cats in your life that you've interviewed, a guy like Ralph Bakshi, right? An animator and stuff like that. You do all this research into them, but you don't get into personal stuff the way you do when you're working with somebody in an autobiography. Was there a sensitivity then? You felt like... The, so I found some of the most poignant parts of the book where at the end he's talking about his parents dying and then he's talking about seeing his dad in an out-of-body experience um, and his dad goes away into a bus-like spaceship and like but when he's saying that to you I mean part of you I'm sure and I'm not putting words in your mouth but you can tell me in a second might be like okay this is unique but I mean it's such a it's written in such a real way like I mean it was moving I mean did was there a, a weight you carried when he was kind of saying these things that others may just to make sure that others didn't see it in a strange way or when you're sitting there you're listening you have your doubts, mm. right? But then you go back and you listen to the tapes and you talk to him again about it. Like, he believes. And this is his book, so it should be in a way. My job is, like, so I guess my job is to explain it to somebody so they understand it a little bit more. Like, that there are other people in the world that believe these kind of things. Like, he's not alone in that. And, and, and Jill certainly knows that. I'm not sure I got to the point where I ever believed in it. But I certainly um, know that he believes, and and I respect that, and he's entitled to it. No, and I, I thought it I thought it really came across well at Thank the you. end um, because, you know, it, it's you know we read a lot of books, sports books, hockey books, and and I'm not sure how every author would be able to tackle something like that because it's not something you're 
you're going to see uh, in a lot of books. Now, I know, I think in um, one of, and Daryl Sittler released a book last year, like a picture book. Yep. And there was a talk of Red Kelly and the crystals. I mean, that was a... In, yeah, pyramid in, power. Pyramid power. And you know, I think it was in 76, am I right, Nate? Somewhere 74, around... 74, 76-ish. Right around there, Red Kelly's daughter, I believe, believed in crystals. And then uh, he brought it in the dressing room. And uh, Daryl Sittler somehow, uh, you know, he, he addre- they, at least addressed they it. They all did. Actually, I worked with Red people on that book like so okay. i read kelly's autobiography right. which is awesome mm-hmm. uh waxy gregoire and dave dupuy mm-hmm. the guys who wrote it and i ended up working for ecw press on that project editing it so you had to you know i understood the crystal stuff a little bit better and the pyramids and all that but what what's the fun part in the editing process is to be able to go and say hey i want to know more about your time as the coach of the penguins i mm-hmm. think it's underplayed here because there's so much leaf stuff mm-hmm. because it's so easy to get right that pyramid power the leaf made the semifinals that year like it all looked like it was a big deal. So go back and tell me more about you know the early days of the Kings. He was the first coach of the LA Kings. You know things like that. I, I like the editing process, and that's a big part of what I do with uh, Slam Wrestling. Uh, you know, which is the website I've been running for over 20 years now. So I like to mentor uh, writers or uh, work with them and edit, make better product too. How, how much fun is it? How much of a I guess I don't not not maybe not so much niche, but how much fun do you like diving into that era of hockey in the in the '70s? Because obviously the sport was going through almost like this kind of like industrial revolution type thing with the World Hockey Association, and so many other forces. Yet you know the arrival of European players. How much fun is it to just dive into that world? Because you you know if this thing or that thing had happened, uh, you know pro hockey could look a lot different today. It's 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 almost like having your hockey cards come to life, right? I mean, I'm just to the age like the first hockey I really remember are the Firewig and uh, Canadians of the late '70s, and so I mean this stuff with Jill's is just a touch before my time, and yet I had all these hockey cards. I would collect them. I'd try to go back and get them. So you're right. It's bringing another era back to life, and it's it seems really strange to us now. Like the, the little bit of preparation they did for the games, the lack of goaltending instruction, uh, how they had to take, you know, commercial flights everywhere. It, it's a foreign world, really, compared to what an athlete today goes through. Yeah, Gilles eating his, his, his big, big Macs, Macs before, <laughs> before games. So it's like, oh, man. And living at the owner's house. Uh, yeah. um, and but, but that still happened. Yeah. As we lived with, with Lemieux. Lemieux, so... Yeah. But it's a bigger house, I guess. <laughs> yeah, in the bridal path, right? Um, uh, here in Toronto. Um, you know, I, he also told me last night that um, he would... Uh, one of the reasons he felt his career went downhill is when Billy Harris left uh, or was fired from the, the Toros. Or either or. Like, right, again, right. it never really comes up, but Billy Harris, had, his wife had some health issues right. and things like that, so he was going back and forth to Ottawa. So. That's right. Sorry, my bad. Yeah, not fired, left. And um, he... He, he he really liked Billy Harris. He said Billy Harris provided him a, a father figure, and he and, and he would come. At, uh, and this is tying into what you're talking about a different era. He would play the piano, and, and I guess Billy Harris would come and sit down beside him. And, and he found Billy Harris to be a very calming type guy. And he says he credits that for with Billy going as as one of the reasons is he felt his whole career went downhill. I, I think that's absolutely true. And and so Billy Harris is one of those guys I wish I could have gotten to talk to because he plays into the Father Bauer thing too because right. he was involved he got his amateur status back and, and got involved in the international game and then ended up you know being involved in the, the coaching of Canada too later so he, he was definitely an instrumental figure in, in hockey history not just uh, certainly with Gilles um, and, and Billy Harris's book he did is mainly about his days of the Leafs not everything else he did. The, the listeners out there obviously can tell right now that you know Greg he's well read he knows what he's talking about and and, the, and 
a big reason for that is obviously the Society for International Hockey Research. So tell uh, you touched on it a bit, but please tell us about that society, how you got involved with it, and how it helps you get involved with all these other books and projects you've been on. Well, no, no project you can do on your own, right? There's always going to be other people, whether it's a librarian ordering a book for you or whether it's... Uh, you know, somebody reading your whatever you wrote down or whatever it is. It's always a bigger picture. Uh, so going from wrestling to hockey was a bit of a leap of faith, but my editor believed in me and encouraged me to try something new, and I'm glad I did. But uh, soon enough, you have to find like-minded people, and that ends up being the Society for International Hockey Research. And there, I mean, it's the other authors. I mean, you can sit down with Kevin Shea or, or Eric Zweig or... Or these guys and, and you're going through similar experiences or they know the right people to call or then it's these are the people buying your books you're getting feedback it, it's so awesome that way I've been able to give back a little bit so I've started a column on the SEER website uh, I think it's just SEERHockey.org and it's it's about hockey books and so all I'm doing is just interviewing authors just a little like this oh boy but on but on hockey books so I mean you talk to Ken Dryden about his book you know ask him one question six minutes later he's done <laughs> um, but lesser guys too right like my next one the, the one that's out there now has Eric Zweig and then Steve Courier who just did the book on a California Golden Seals but the, ne the next one's gonna have like three different self-published authors right for whatever reason they went down their own path and they didn't go with a major publisher. And, and there's good and bad to that. I mean, the one book I did with my son, uh, it's called Duck with the Puck, and we self-published it. It's a children's book, yeah. And, and it was aimed sort of at the five-year-olds, and, and we did it ourselves, and I'm glad we did. We're into our third printing, which I have to go pick up this week or next, so. Impressive, I yeah. say. And it, did you draw inspiration from Peter Puck on that? No, well, a little bit. I mean, I remember Peter Puck, and I get to see Brian McFarland. I mean, I, I, again, you kick yourself half the time. You you end up at these uh, NHL old timers luncheons or whatever, and you're sitting and I'm talking to Brian McFarland. Yeah. I mean, how awesome is this? I mean, my my eight year old me still can't believe I get to do some of the things I get to do. Um, Brian McFarland, of course, from Hockey Night in Canada fame. Well, but he's done like a hundred books as well. Yes. It's like you know, I can be up there at a meeting and say, Hey, look, here's my thirteenth book. How many are you up to? Oh, I don't know. Is there Nate? Correct me. Is there a Hardy Boys connection there? Yeah, his dad wrote the Hardy Boys, I believe, right? Yeah, yeah, and and even some of the ones that weren't written under the McFarland name were were his dad under a ghostwriter. So. Um. Go ahead, Nate. Sorry. Yeah. What's what's the what's the writing process like for you? Just the day to day of it. I mean, you're obviously you know you mentioned your your son Quinn. You're you know you've got we got a you know you got to be a supportive partner and everything. You mentioned that in the dedication of the Father Bauer book. Like, what's the process like of just staying on task? I mean, that's that's what it's that's what always, that's what's always dogged me as a writer. It's I like should I be working instead of on the show with you guys here. <laughs> yeah, you should well, be locked did, away in a basement. You did do some yeah. work before you came in today, did, right? Did, yeah. So we're here at the Toronto uh, Public Library Reference Library down at Young and Bloor, and and uh, yes, Greg was out in the uh, he was he was working before. You know, he took the time to work here. So, but yeah, but that, that's a good point, and and but. I love the luxury of being able to work at home. So I w I've been a stay-at-home dad since my son was one, and that's been the main job. So I went from being a stay-at-home dad slash writer to being a writer slash stay-at-home dad. Now that he doesn't need me, like he's 11 on the 24th of November, so I, he doesn't need me around all the time. But yet we do these things together, you know, hey, let's, let's ditch school today. Let's go meet Bobby Orr. Like, you know, a teacher's cool. jealous. I mean, he's pretty lucky, and I'm extremely lucky to get to do it with him.
but yeah, the writing process, there are good days and bad days. There's That's all I can warn people. If you're trying to do this, there'll be days you can't get anything done. And especially if you're a stay-at-home dad, like, you know, there's days that life is chaos. Um, other days, you make your personal choice. I'm going to really work hard. Uh, the one thing I've done in my home is I have one computer that's upstairs in my office that isn't online. So when I need to work, Hmm. I can force myself up there, shut the door, turn on some music, and just write. And that, that's probably been the most important thing in getting all these books done. And I can almost look at some books and go, I remember working on this one when the Dixie Chicks had their live album come out. And I listened <laughs> to that one again and again as I worked on Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, The Heels. It's just weird the way these things happen. And that computer is like, it's not just like the internet's off on it. It's not even wired in at all. It's not wired in at all. So I, I'm, <laughs> it, it's, yeah, it's a bit of a Luddite world, but it works. No, no, that's a, that's a pro tip. Because I, I think Jonah Carey said something about that. I was like, why is it so hard to get anything done? And someone was kind of like... Well, the thing is, my writing machine is also my, you know, movie-watching machine, my pornography machine, my banking machine, <laughs> and so on and so forth. How many, so uh, on, a, on a typical day, and maybe no day is typical, but how many hours are you, are you trying to dedicate a certain amount of hours to just try and get something out? And do you always have a new book on the go? Uh, sometimes you do, sometimes you don't. I, up till now, I thought I had a book deal that was in the works, and that sort of fell through, and so now it's making a couple more pitches to whatever's next. Um, ECW Press has been incredibly supportive, but you know you don't know what the next project is going to be, though we're 98% sure we're going to sort of complete the Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame series that we did. Uh, Pro Wrestling Hall of Fame, the storytellers is the plan. So, I mean, you gotta have a place to be able to tell the story about the alli wrestling alligators and wrestling bears and the midgets <laughs> and, the, and a little bit about the women, but also, you know, where did blood come from in pro wrestling? You know, how did the, the whole carny you know, world of, of carnival wrestling lead into pro wrestling? And so it's going to be a lot of those kind of things that we didn't tackle in the Canadians, the tag teams, the heels, and the baby faces. Or heroes and icons is what we call it. <laughs> so you're right. There is no normal day. And some days I get a lot done. Um, some days I don't. But I have a list of things to do that's kind of crucial to my life. And that includes everything from remembering to edit a story for Slam Wrestling to make sure you, like, uh, Glenn Anderson finally gave me his address for his Father Bauer book. So, mm -hmm. you know, I got to, like, made a note. I got to write a note to Glenn Anderson so he gets a copy of, you know, copy of the book and I send a little nice note because that's what you're supposed to do. So I need a list of things to do. Were you at the Hall of Fame yesterday? No, I didn't go this year. I, I have been in the past, and uh, even things like I went to the media luncheon one year, uh, thanks to Alan Stitt, who I did two books with, who okay. I haven't even mentioned until now. Okay. Uh, we did two document books, and Alan is one of the biggest supporters there is of the Hockey Hall of Fame, and um, great guy, and uh, has allowed me some fascinating access to all kinds of great old documents and stuff that led you in a whole different way, right? That, that was a project that came out of the blue, and yet that pays off in, in any number of ways. Touching on pays off, uh, and we don't, pay off. we don't have That's to get any de any details. But, but writers know that you know money's not, you know, you don't do this for the money. Uh, thir Thirteen books in. I mean, is it sustainable? Do you have to have a partner working? Like, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> My wife's got a very good job. Thank you, Meredith, and <laughs> um, that makes it all possible. I mean, especially with the stay-at-home dad thing. I mean, it was never meant to be the main gig. Uh, now that you know, I'm. My son's in school all the time. And I'd like to make more money, and, and there are chances to do that. Um, and, and like this year was remarkable with having Father Bauer come out in April and then the Joe Graton book coming out in the fall. 
Um, so two books within a year makes it look like I worked really hard, but things get slowed down, right? Like, I mean, they decide to hold the Father Bauer book, which may have been done for weeks. Like, you just don't know. Or, sorry, for months. And they just held it till the April instead of putting it out in the, the fall with everything else. So uh, there is some money out there. Um, thank God for things like the, uh, the library program where you get some money when, when books get checked out. Uh, payback and and things like that. It, it's it's important for writers to be supported. Don't steal books. <laughs> but if you get a book out of the library, uh, if your author is smart, and while well, it ties into being Canadian too, like so, my co-author Stephen Johnson's American. He can't get into the Canadian authorship program where somebody takes the book out of the library. He doesn't get a, a small fraction of a cent. But those things add up too. Yeah, maybe this is a good time to sort of segue in, into Father Bauer and, and the Great Experiment, which again I, I've you know came across this this uh, spring, and I, now I mean Neil and I we're you know we're zennials. We're born in the late '70s, so we can remember the Canadian na national hockey team. I just wondered, I guess, just sort of how, how how germane do you think is the book and the writing of it and the and the fact you talked about this you know great vision that uh, Father David Bauer had and how it was it's sort of as you say, kind of died on the vine way before it, or its time. How much germane is it to kind of what's going on with Olympic hockey uh, this year with no NHLers in the Olympics? Well, it is and it isn't. I mean, picking a team, how do you pick the team? That's a big part of what Father Bauer went through time and time again. And with Claire Drake going in the Hockey Hall of Fame yesterday, I mean, he was one of those coaches in the 1980 team. Um, so that's always going to be an element of every Olympic. Uh, and that's cool. But now they're professionals, right? You're hunting down, okay, where's this guy playing? Is he going to be allowed to leave the, the team in France or in the team in, in Russia for that couple-week period? So it's it's different in that sense, whereas all the guys back then had to be true amateurs. You know, they were going to university or they were teachers uh, during the day and they, they'd play hockey at, uh, for the national team at night. It was a remarkable book and, and all those people who gave their lives basically to the Canadian national uh, hockey team program are, deserve far more um, praise than they ever get. Was that sort of the sort of the sui generis thing of it? it? Was just like this is a, this great chapter in hockey history, and it's kind of just been forgotten because it doesn't really fit into the present day narrative. Well, that's a great. It doesn't fit in because I mean, today's players are making you know million dollars out of the gate, you know, and these guys were you know existing on a teacher's salary and and a couple thousand bucks, uh, and they'd still have to work when they're on on their trip. You know, if they go over in uh, Grenoble during the Olympics, they're still doing homework. It's, it's, it's insane, really, if you think about it. Father David Bauer and Jill Graton, those books come out back to back. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, wow, two people that couldn't even be, you know, could, they, they couldn't be farther apart. And then something clicked in. Father David Bauer, a religious man, and you've got Jill Graton who considers himself a seeker. They're both spiritual. And and that brought me to this, uh, which <laughs> can you read the quote off the top here and the name underneath? Absolutely. Please. So this is right at the beginning of our book uh, on Gratuni of the Looney. It says, religion is what prevents humanity from reaching a higher level of consciousness. And we attest this to or credit it to Gilles 
Gurudas Losang Dawa Jarda Graton. So is that Jill Graton? That's Jill Graton. So I mean, that's where all the extra names she got along the way, right? Whether it was uh, you know uh, some Swami who told him yeah. about India, or or when he was doing his transcendental meditation or whatnot. So you're right. He's a very spiritual guy. Um, different. Certainly than yeah. Father David Bauer, <laughs> but even with Father Bauer, I made sure to include. Well, the guy had vices too. Yeah, he like the. I just I remember the passage. The one guy was like Father Bauer sneaking cigarettes, at, you know, coming into his room at night, and like he's like, I know that's you. Like, <laughs> yes, wonderful stories, and and but I love that process. I mean, like a hundred different people, and and putting it all together in a piece. Whereas the Gratuni of the Looney, you're sitting down with one guy and getting his story and right. bringing in a few other voices. So they were. There were very different people, but very different projects to work on as well. Father David Bauer, when I think of him, and I think of the book, I just think structure. Like he was a structured man. And one of the themes in, in Gratun the Looney is that he's not a structured man. However, he actually, he kind of says that he, he wouldn't been, he would have benefited from structure uh, had his parents uh, kind of been more uh, discipli disciplinarians. Um, that I found really interesting because he's such a free spirit. You know what I mean? Like, uh, um, did you find that interesting at all? That, that, that he would, you know, and he even says now with his kids, he's kind of a bit of a disciplinarian. Yeah, that's, yeah it, it is interesting because, yeah, he looks back at his lack of discipline as a child yeah. carrying over in the rest of his life. Yeah. And yet the couple of times where he had a disciplinarian coach or whatever, yeah. he completely rebelled and didn't fall in line right. He didn't end up in high school. Right? So right. that whole kind of thing just fell by the wayside. Uh, but then, it's again, it's the professional athlete thing, right? Once you get to the pros, there's certain expectations of what you should be able to do. We shouldn't have to hold your hand every time. Uh, we shouldn't have to make you do these things. And so Gilles would have benefited from somebody who knew the game better, say, than you know, when he had uh, uh, John Ferguson. Yes. Who knew the game but didn't know how to teach the game. Right. So he couldn't help him at all. But then again, it also comes down to that whole thing where nobody knows a goalie but a goalie. So there's never, I mean, what was it? Eight coaches in history have been goalies in the NHL. I think that was what our number was. Wow. It might be nine now. It's ridiculous. In the history of the NHL, how few were Nate? actually goalies for can you, can you I, I, like, I'm literally Glenn like, Hanlon, Patrick Waugh. Well, Jerry Cheever's coached. Yeah. <laughs> Who do we got? Who do we got? Uh, let's think. Let's think. Oh, yeah. Roger Crozier coached. Roger Crozier. Yeah. And in some of these cases, they weren't necessarily successful. But yeah. Neil Francis is probably the best, the biggest name on. Um, but there aren't very many. Yeah. I, that's five. We've got five here. Um, sorry, continue. That's okay. No, no. I, it, it, but I mean, it's one of those fascinating little facts that we looked into for the goaltenders union. Gilles would not have been a good coach. <laughs> no. But he also brought up something too, like Gilles, of course, he, he's, you know, fascinated with past lives and parallel lives. How much, but something that I mean, maybe you sort of, because you sort of had a tight narrative and want to stay on it. Um, but he doesn't. How much did Jill's talk about? Well, if I does he does he talk all all about? Well, if I'd been born in like say 1992 instead of 52, maybe my career would have been different. But I don't really get that point coming across. He's, he, how, is it fair to say that he was just kind of like this happened and I did you know I got regrets, but I, this is I own it. He doesn't give it a lot of thought. That's for sure. Like you know he he has no what ifs kind of thing. Like he's not a guy that would dwell on that. Um, what was interesting though was because his nephew. Uh, so his his sister's son, Frederick Cluche, ended up on the cusp of the NHL. Like, he's a guy who ended up sitting on the bench and never getting to play in the NHL, but he got there. 
Um, so, I mean, he was a goaltender as well. So, Gilles got to live a little bit vicariously through him and see how the game had changed. And then later, Gilles tries his equipment on. and, and yeah, how light it is. and <laughs> Exactly. How, how different it would have been for him. You're talking about different eras. Like, what's crazy about Gilles Graton's life is that, okay, he has this nephew who's in uh, almost made the NHL. Played in an exhibition game, I believe, maybe more yeah. more than one. He wasn't really driven to play hockey. His brother made the NHL too, and he told me his brother, as a kid, would be out in the backyard playing Robin Hood. I mean, I think till like the ages of like eleven. 12. His brother took up hockey super late. I mean, both of them ended up playing in the NHL. I mean, that's got to be from a bygone era. I mean, if you, I just finished reading uh, P.K. Subban's dad's book, Carl yeah, Subban's book, one, yeah. and. I mean, and I was reading the, these back to back, and I was like, again, couldn't be farther apart. Like they knew from day one. Like they had him on skates when he was three. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's just crazy. This guy, and and Jill's is sixty five now, so you're dealing with probably early fifties, mid fifties, uh, in terms of the um, birth year. Hmm? In terms of birth year? Yeah. No. Um, when he was ten, 10 or nine or whatever. Yeah. Early sixties. Yeah. Early sixties. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, thank you for correcting. But, but they me. also Sorry. had all those chances <laughs> to play back then, right? Like you know, go to the park and be out there all day. Yeah. Right. Today's kids, you know, they're playing hockey a lot, but it's all structured. Like it's a completely different kind of way of, of yeah, learning exactly. the sport. Um, but yeah, Carl Saban's book is interesting in its own way, and especially the, the parenting style and, and all that kind of thing compared to what Jill's went through and, um, and how Norm went off the rails. I mean, one of the, the saddest parts of the whole book about Jill Graton is, is his brother Norm. I mean, he played in the NHL. He was on those amazing junior Canadians teams that, were, that won Memorial Cups with Jill Perrault uh, in the late 60s. So he, he was, and he went like 12th overall. Like today, you think about a 12th overall guy, like, wow, he must be awesome. Right. Well, Norm went 12th overall and basically didn't end up having much of a career at all, then drinks himself to death. And it's a really sad part of the story, but it was important to get it in there. And I'm, I'm proud of what we did. It's just, uh, it, it's a real um, sad tale. That's a, that's a sidebar, I guess, in a way, but, but yet part of who defines how Shields ended up how he did because it also you see in his brother a lot of the parallels to what Jill went through growing up and lack of structure and non-parental commitment I guess right. it's not that the parents didn't love them You're right um, they took them to the hockey games they did all that stuff it just they weren't emotionally invested right. in everything their kids did. and his dad was working all the time yeah no birthday parties that's right. the one that comes up right they never celebrated each other's birthday yeah, that's wild when you think now. There's complete <laughs> industries around birthday parties. Yeah, right? now, like, how much, I mean, like, a kid has a, I mean, I've, you know, we have friends who have children now, and it's like, a, you know, your child has a birthday, and there's, like, a whole, whole like, group email that goes into all the parents in, in, the, in that child's class, so. Well, we, we, yeah, we've been great with my son. He He's understood this whole idea, so we usually do a road hockey game, and we just invite everybody, and that's our thing, and all we do Instead of I want to collecting, come to that. Well, next Friday. Uh, <laughs> instead of presents, we just we collect donations for Right to Play. So oh, cool. that's something that, uh, you know, I saw at, a, at an event I was at and learned about, and then uh, he bought into it. So, I, you know, there are ways to get around that whole birthday empire thing, too. That, that sort of brings up a question that sort of, I guess, off-menu, but, like, how much, how much in terms of, like, the whole, I guess, child sports industry, com you know, industrial complex type thing, like how how much are, do you think that maybe that's you know hurting kids because I because I, I think back to you know even my own childhood was kind of idyllic you know you played minor hockey 
and you played ball in the summer and i mean if there there was a chance to play triple a you did that when you were a little older but now it's like these kids are so you know sequestered into all their little things and if you know you feel like it's really hurting the socialization well my son is just a player he's never going to be a star so i mean i but what i see is a growing gap every day between him and his friends as far as athletic ability right the kids that get pushed up to the next level he can't keep up with them anymore hockey is the perfect example i mean if you're skating all the time you're going to be so much better than a guy who plays you know twice a week um so you, you just see this growing gap and there's no way really to catch up unless you're but even the story like uh, Pierre Pilot is another guy who I worked on his book with uh, those guys and edited he didn't start playing hockey till he was 12 made the NHL made the Hockey Hall of Fame could that happen today I don't think so there's no well, way to catch up well just again touching on Carl Subban's book when you, when you read the story about him teaching night school and then grabbing PK in his snowsuit <laughs> and driving him from Rexdale down to City Hall yeah. to play for four hours. And then he goes to senior kindergarten the next morning in the afternoon. I mean, miles apart. Yeah, yeah. I'm uh, not doing that for my kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got books to write. Yeah, exactly. Um, um, back to the book. Um, well, two questions I have. I guess I should probably put them in the sequential order. So I'll, uh, we'll, we'll talk about uh, the reason for the book and and Jill obviously he has two kids he wants to put them through uh, university so, so he, he 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 basically he needed the money and and so the, he's been with with a story like this for the people listening you could imagine that people w have wanted to know about this guy for a long time and he just he doesn't have an interest in telling a story but explain the three-way re relationship between Bruce you and him to get this book started and Bruce Jessup we're talking about the photographer who Greg talked about earlier yeah Bruce owns a big photo collection um, so we'd use them for the both the um, don't call me goon and then for the goaltenders union he thought we'd be a good good match uh, and we were but Bruce had been bugging Jill's forever to to share these stories because you know they were they were basically buddies like living together for three years uh, when they were in Europe so you get to Jill's always telling stories even though his buddies at, at his current job like you know they've heard all these stories and so it was a way to finally convince them to collect it and put it down the, to paper um, but you're right the, the big reason he wants to do it is to not to leave a legacy for his kids it's to make some money so his kids can leave their own legacy uh Sorry, uh, go ahead. Now, is there any possibility this book's going to get a translation into French? I hope so. Yeah, no, like Le Soleil did a big interview with them, um, things like that. That's a little bit out of your control. But if you're a French publisher, you're also going to sit here looking at the numbers at the end of, you know, the end of the year and say, well, look at how many books sold here. Maybe we should translate this, right? And for next fall. So I, I hope it does. I mean, it's, it's basically bonus money. But Gilles was never a big star in Quebec, right? If yeah, you that's think true. about it, I mean, he was in the WHA. They played in the Nordiques a couple of times a year. And then, uh, you know, he goes to play in the NHL and he plays against the, the Habs a few times a year. Like, that's really it. He was not, he didn't even play his junior hockey in Quebec. So he's a, he's a bit of an anomaly that way. In that way and, and a lot, a lot of, of others. Ways, yeah. <laughs> um, so you start the, 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 the book and it's all I always find it interesting to, to see how uh, authors start a, a, a sports book uh, when they're focused on a specific athlete because um, it kind of, it's telling I mean um, Mookie Wilson obviously started his book off with the at-bat 
um, in the in Game Six, right? Mm-hmm. In the, 80, the '86 World Series. Larry Robinson, I think, starts off with the the big hit he delivered uh, in seven. Was it '76? '76. Was it, it Dornhoff? Gary Dornhofer yeah. bent the boards. And in this, we start that, off. That was Larry Robinson's second book. Yeah. Second, yeah, you're right because Going he had Kevin one. Shea, yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, you're, that's that's a good point because he did release one uh, many years earlier. Um, and this book starts off, uh, and as you mentioned, Jill didn't exactly have a storied career. He's known for his antics, partying, and all that stuff. But this starts off with his mask, and tell us why his mask. It is significant, and, and describe this mask which graces the front cover of your book. Well, it was probably, so he decided he needed something unique, and, and he found a pictures of tigers uh, that, that he really liked, and he found a mask maker, Greg Harrison, to, uh, to color his mask. Up to that point, there'd only been a couple of guys who had masks. Um, that were painted. You know, you had Doug Favell had one, uh, uh, Dan Bouchard had one, uh, Jerry Cheevers had the one with just the scars. They were nothing really fancy. They were really simple designs. And so this was the first one that really made an impression. It's a snarling lion, and it ties into him being a Leo and his whole love of astrology and stuff like that. But it came to define him and outlive him in many ways, right? This mask made a huge impact. It was in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Gilles Gratton, as a, as a goaltender, with the quality of his, his work, will never, ever get to the Hockey Hall of Fame. <laughs> but his mask did for a time. It was in the Hall of Fame, and now it's, and now it's with a private around. collector in Florida. Yeah, we, we don't know all that story, and it was hard to go into in the book because we don't know all the facts. Right. It's not like private collectors come forward and right. say, yes, I bought this and I shouldn't have. But what, what year was that uh, that he... Uh... That he he brought that it was that was with the Rangers that was in 76, the 76, 77, 77 yeah. Uh, so all in all, he played uh, 47 games in in the NHL uh, from 75 to 77. He was with St. Louis, which he doesn't speak highly of as a city. <laughs> well, he played six games. Six there. games there. How did you uh, get to know it? <laughs> uh, yeah, I know. And then and then he was in New York. Um, and prior to that, he was in the WHA for three seasons, uh, where he played 160 games and he put put up some pretty Good decent numbers, numbers, numbers in the numbers WHA. There, yeah. um, but uh, his time in New York is actually some of the funniest things you'll read in this book are from his time in New York, and um, he, yeah, he, you know, you know what it does though? It echoes Sean Avery's book. Okay. Uh, I don't know if you guys read that yet, but mm. the fact is, in New York, you're a different kind of celebrity. You're both not recognizable by everybody there because there's so many people, but for those people who love you. You are adored. And so the doors that were open to all these things, whether it's a brothel, whether it's, <laughs> uh, you know, going into fancy clubs or whatever. And, and he even just talks, we talk about it in the book too, like opposing players would come to town and want that connection. You know, I want to go to Club uh, 54, Studio 54. You know, can you hook me up? And so Rod Gilbert being the sort of the, uh, the player in town, he was able to help out all these teammates. And you can see that whole idea of New York City and Avery goes into that a lot how he was just they loved me in New York because he's just a New York kind of guy um, and they're very similar books and yet very different too um, and and just leading into to my next question I mean I, I've noticed that now that you bring it up in other books too I mean Theo Fleury describes New York um, very vividly in yeah. a dark kind of way but that same idea in his book uh, playing with fire which was an excellent book and um, there was one other book too I was going to bring up, but it, it just slipped my mind. Um, 
Regardless, because of these stories, like, you know, he talks about the 1976 Halloween party and stuff like that. <laughs> um, you know, he talks about, um, you know, smoking joints with uh, reporters. Uh, like, were the, when you're writing this down, are you like, uh, I mean, how, how did you handle that? Because was it, it must have been easier because he doesn't necessarily care, right? Well, he told me all the names. My right. job's taking out the names. <laughs> right. So it's like, okay, we can't name this person because that's not exactly on the up and up and you know you know we don't need to know who is in that foursome in, in winnipeg <laughs> though i know and you know some story we took out i mean you know i i just i, was, I just remember casually reading and he's like yeah something about uh, oh uh, you know I, I smoked joints with roy mcgregor and i'm like what yeah, well, that, well roy told me that story uh, that, but i mean those are the remarkable things you get sometimes that just Gloria. It's yeah. like, oh my God. So here's Roy McGregor writing a, a blurb for the Father Bauer book, and yet then you follow up later and you Bertuni the Looney, and it's like, yeah, we used to smoke dope. And, and it was really, <laughs> it wasn't maybe him that came up with them, but the Bertuni the Looney was from Roy McGregor's article. So that's where that all came from. He was, uh, he was talking about specifically, uh, and I talked to him about it yesterday, he, uh, Jill smoked uh, marijuana to help him with his uh, with pain relief in the uh, in the 70s now I mean we're on the cusp of legalization I mean he might have been a little bit of ahead of his time maybe perhaps and do you think there were do you see any nuggets with Jill where he was kind of ahead of his time I'm sure there's lots where he wasn't but well that's that's a good example I mean he just overdid it for sure <laughs> um, and but I mean the things like the meditation uh, yeah. the yoga yeah. Like all that kind of stuff. I mean, that's every almost every team now has a yoga instructor. Right. So these guys, you need to be flexible to be able to recover, and especially as a goalie. You know, it really made a lot of sense. Uh, he, he was into some of that stuff. He just wasn't able to commit himself full-time to all that stuff, which is what he wanted to do. He wanted to quit with enough money to be able to go travel. And which he did, and, and, and where did he go? Well, yeah, he went to India. He went to an ashram that was in upstate New York. There was yeah. another one apparently down in Miami. Like, you know, he his life was based around all these kind of experiences the the one person i wished like was his ex-wife whether she would have talked to me but she declined and you respect that but i mean she was there for all these trips it would have been really remarkable to have a little bit from her but you know you have to you understand that you're not going to get everybody you want on your wish list the the one thing i i kind of took from it too um was you know the the the, the little things i knew about Gilles Graton were from, I think, Roy McGregor's book a few years ago. He kind of caught up with him. There's a little story about him. I didn't know much about him, but I was like, oh, this who is this guy who had who talks about past lives or whatever? And I thought, you know, when I read the book, I kind of learned more about some of the stuff he said. It was kind of outlandish, I think, to get at the press and maybe get at his coaches. Like, I don't think he really believed he was stabbed in the Inquisition. Or made, or did he? I mean... Well, I, he, he thinks he does, but you're right. Some of the, especially the, well, the moons don't align. So. Yeah, I'm not going to play in, play in gold tonight because the moon's not aligned with something. With Jupiter or whatever. <laughs> so, I mean, that kind of stuff he definitely did to push some buttons and get your coach upset. And the media picked up on that. And it lived on because of things like syndicated cartoons, like the sports cartoons, which you don't see enough anymore, but there used to be ones that would run in your sports section. And you would, uh, you know, the, the whole past lives thing, it lived on. Like, you know, we found one in, in one of my son's, you know, kids books, you know, like it's just, he lived on uh, far more than his career deserved because of some of these quirks. 
because of some of these crazy things. That, that actually brings up, were there any stories that you had to like actually go and find out, disprove? Like, I mean, you always think about you know, all the stories that were, you know, any story about a dumb baseball player was always attributed to like Yogi Berra or whatever. Were there any where he had to be like, I heard this and he was like, no, that didn't happen or... Well, there's certainly some clarifications, right? I mean, that whole skating naked thing. <laughs> I mean, that, that, that yeah, had he... grown to the point that, oh, he skated naked at Maple Leaf Gardens in front of everybody. Well, no, that's not the story. He skated naked practice, at right? practice at George Bell Arena, which is close to where I live. <laughs> Coincidence. So I've been there lots of times. But, you know, it was, it was a bet that he made or a dare uh, where he got some sticks for the kids in his neighborhood where he was living to play road hockey, right? Some, some of the old beat-up sticks. So the trainer dared him. So, you know, it, it's a story that grew that, you know, you actually tamed it down to put in the book. Yeah, I swear, I think George Plimpton mentioned that story in, uh, his, in, open, his, net, yeah. in open Net. And then, and then he, and I think Jules is like, you'd have to be nuts to do that in Maple Leaf Gardens. <laughs> yeah, well, he was nuts, but I'm not sure he was nuts. But then again, we had a streaker at the Bills game on Sunday, right? So Well, well he saw the Bills defense. He knew he wasn't getting tackled. <laughs> What uh, what do you think? What what kind of feedback? First of all, because you were at the Sports Card Expo uh, just this past weekend, what kind of feedback have you gotten? Uh, Jill said it's all been positive. What, what have you gotten from it? Yeah, it's been very positive because it's. I think it's just such a different book. You know, it's not somebody holding their cards close to their chest. It's a guy who just spews it all out, and um, there's good and bad to that. And I don't think everybody seemed to really. Maybe not everybody liked him, but like the players who I talked to, they had a genuine affection for him. Like he was a he was a character. He's when you look back on your your days, whatever it is, right? Whether you worked in you know a Loblaws for twenty years, or whether you worked you know in a factory, or whether you were a hockey player, there will there will be characters that will stick with you uh, through the years. And Jill's was certainly one of those. But but it was partly because he was a good person. Um, he just lived a wild life. Is, is that what what came across to you too when you when you met him like that you basically you, you know did you discover this for yourself too I mean what you'd been hearing from a lot of these yeah I, I think I discovered it but I go in I'm a pretty positive kind of guy in those regards right and I believe You're not in the judging. goodness of, yeah. goodness of people and uh, I mean I try to live my life like that too and just be a good person so it was nice to the Jills and I connected on that and he's um, he's dry. Certainly when you talk to him, he's not exactly someone to, that's forthcoming with right. a ton of info, but he'll answer if you ask him. Um, and, and we became pretty good friends over the years, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad he's in my life. Yeah, that. I mean, uh, if you have anything else to add, Nate, I don't know. I mean, I, I was just going to ask you if there's anything else that you, you want to add in any upcoming projects you might be working oh on. Oh, God. Uh, we're, I don't even know what the projects are some of the time. So, like, the slam wrestling stuff I continue to do. We're doing the book on storytellers. There's a couple other things in the hopper. You never know where the next project's going to come from. Um, it's nice that some of these things have helped me get onto a, maybe a maybe get noticed a little bit more that you know oh this project needs somebody you're one of five that we're considering. So you may not get it, but at least you got to that point. So what's the next one? I don't know, right? Uh, I hope it is something interesting. <laughs> is there any is there anyone you can think of in the world of sports that 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 your next project would even be remotely similar to this. Well, see, Bill Lee's already, Space and Bill Lee's already done his book, right? That's what a lot of people have compared this one okay, to. Okay, yes. I actually had a thought about that, and then I was kind of like, because they, they made that the Bill Lee biopic that came out last year with Josh Brolin, which was kind of, it was kind of, it was so-so. 
But I was kind of thinking, I was going to ask you about that, and then I was kind of thinking, you know what, they're kind of different because Bill Lee was kind of like, he's never given up the notion that he's a major league pitcher. Like, he's probably, what, in his 70s now and probably still thinks he could, you know, go out there and, they, and get they, lefty batters out. And Gilles was kind of the guy who just kind of walked away from hockey. So they, that, that, to me, they were kind of diametrically opposed. They, they brought them together in Montreal recently, right? Oh, so my Bill goodness. Because he played for the Expo, so he was in town for another Expo. And uh, Mark Durand was the guy doing a sort of a, a Quebec collectible show, and he brought them together on, on screen. It's like, you know, very different personalities and yet very similar. So I, I really don't know what anybody else that, I mean, Sean Avery, like I said, is pretty wacky and his stuff's out there. Mm. But I mean, again, he grew up in a different era. He's working out all the time. He's doing all these things. So he's, and, and he has access to money mm. and the ability to do all these things where Gilles didn't. Gilles is going to be on tour with this mask coming up. Did you hear anything about this? I heard he uh, he said something like this: "There's going to be replicas of this this mask, and they're going to be doing signings." Oh, well, that's cool. No, I, I'm more power to him. I mean, he did very well in the weekend. I think he sold all but one of his books. That's right. At, yes. the, at the expo, and that's what I want to hear because I know I get a few bucks out of that later down the road. Right. Um, we're going to the hockey historians event in Montreal. Yes. Uh, in a couple of weeks and. But, I mean, Jill's is going to sell all the books there, so I'm going to come out of this in the hole because I'm going to pay it to get to Montreal and <laughs> stay at a hotel, and Jill's will make all the money. But that's okay. He he definitely needs it more. Um, but it's a team effort, right? So I'll leave you with this. Fill in the blank. Writing. You do it because... I need to. <laughs> uh, the writing part of it is something I really adore. But... It's the thing that people don't understand is the build-up to the writing. Like, all the research you have to do, when you sit down to write, that's pretty easy. It's making yourself transcribe or, or doing the research and all that kind of stuff. That can be tedious and drives me nuts. But once I've done the interview, writing can be pretty easy. And that's sure. it. Thanks for joining us today. We really appreciate it. And uh, we'd love to have you on again to talk about more books in the future. Let's hope there are some more books. But yeah, I mean, I, my, my gig in general, I get to read a ton of sports books. So I do have a good idea what's going on. Well, hopefully you'll uh, listen to the Sports Lit podcast as well. <laughs> Thank you.